Today, we're moving on. I mean, the last couple of days we've talked. We've talked about God, who, our first time together, and we discovered that God is there. No matter how despicable and unruly we are, perhaps like Sam, the man we talked about, he, uh, in each of us there is this desire to do what's right. This is, it's a, a knowledge of what's right and wrong. I mean, if you, even if you have two atheists walking down the street and one hits one in the mouth, you know, the one that got hit in the mouth kind of thinks that's wrong. So he has instilled in us this, uh, this right and wrong and, and preferring the right over and against the wrong. And then secondly, we learned in that, that talk that he cares for us and he knows what's happening. And uh, then in our second time together, we looked at friends. Or rather, we looked at, what did we look at the second time? Parents, how? And we talked about uh, how significant these relationships are with our parents. If we, if we don't have a relationship with God, we're, we're in trouble. If we don't have a, rip, a healthy relationship with our parents, we can be in trouble too. And sometimes parents are just unhealthy, toxic individuals you never can get along with ever. But from your side of the equation, you can forgive. You can, uh, you can move through bitterness and different things. I kind of shared my testimony you may have to set up some boundaries and different things afterward, um, but you don't need to be ruled by what they do. That text that saved my life in uh, Ezekiel, considering and considering, uh, seeing, considering, but not doing likewise. Very freeing text. How many of you were here all week? How many of you were just here for the first time today? Oh, man. Guys are going to have to go to, what is it? Audioverse.org if you want to know what's happening. You'll think maybe I'm a little tangential or perhaps even a schizophrenic today. So please get the other messages. Um, all right. So today we're going to talk about friendships. Who? And, uh, you know, when I became a Christian, I started to change. My friendships be started, started to change. And I... I I'm a Christian now, but I would say to you, I'm still becoming a Christian. I, I think being a Christian is a process. It's a relationship we have that's growing, and it's, it's not a static thing. It's a dynamic thing. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, so for me, I, I'm, I'm always learning more things about why I'm not like Christ and how I could, you know, you look at Christ and you're like, oh man, I'm a disaster, but... I'm glad he loves me, you know what I mean? So I, I'm not saying to you I'm, I'm at the end of the road. But uh, when I became a Christian, my whole idea about friendships began to change. It started kind of before because I was uh, more and more uh, made aware of my unchrist likeness. Even before I became a Christian, this happened. I remember working, uh, like I said before, as I shared my testimony, I, I went through school as uh, as a nurse and I got through and I was working there in the hospital and taking care of different people and uh, I was I was basically an unkind bitter person I was like you know a spiritual unabomber I was I was unhappy I I told a lot of jokes I had all kinds of friends but I really they were all acerbic and the punchline was always kind of mean and uh, so I remember one day this lady came in and she was a lady of the night. She came to the emergency department, and there she was. And she had the smell of alcohol on her breath, and I went in to uh, talk with her, and she had children with her, a couple children with her, 
that uh, had different last names. And so I was already, you know, having this feeling that, you know, I could say something mean or think thoughts that were mean. And she said, well, my, my child has a fever and this and that and the other. And I said to her kind of sarcastically, um, well, uh, have you considered Tylenol? And the way I said it, when someone is uh, already slightly inebriated and compromised, it just set the lady off. She just went berserk. You, and then uh, you can fill in the blanks. She just went to town, man. And she, she just threw all costs into the wind. And she just, I mean, it was so blue in the room. I, I don't think any of the other primary colors would have shown up. I mean, it was just, boom. And then, bang, she kicks me. So the head nurse comes in and says, Don, I think you may have compromised the, the patient-nurse relationship here. And I said, I think you're probably right. So uh, I would like to put you on something else. I said, that is uh, definitely okay doke with me. So I go down the hall, and, you know, and of course, all the nurses are like, yeah, that lady and this and that, and they're all telling me that what she did, you know, she's this and that and the other, and by the way, she's a prostitute and all that, and they were all talking about it. And everybody was like confirming that what I had done and how I behaved was okay. Have you ever had that happen? But I was just kind of convicted that this is kind of was not right, you know? So I go home, not yet a Christian, but this is just before I, you know, that other lady that you heard about the first day died, and it was, you know, it's still kind of that time. And I go, and I'm, I'm thinking about this, and that night I go home, and I'm just, I'm just kind of, it just comes back, and I go, man, I, you know, if I saw that lady again, if it was possible I saw that lady again, you know, I, I'd probably have to tell her I was sorry, which I don't want to do, <laughs> but I probably would. I had this idea. I went back the next day, go in, go in to see the first patient, open the door. My friend, my special friend. And uh, she looks right at me and she starts swearing again. And I said, you know what? I'm really, I was amazed. I said, why is she here? How did this happen? I, I wasn't willing to admit that God did that. But I said, you know what? I'm really glad that I uh, ran into you again because I just wanted to tell you, I mean, someone else can give you the penicillin shot, but I just wanted to tell you that I'm, I'm sorry about what happened. Stopped. She looked at me and she started to cry. She started to cry. I said, what are you crying about? She said to me, very few people in my whole life have ever told me, I'm sorry. You know. Well, that really started to work on me. So I was seeing that I had these problems. Another time I was working with another doctor. His name was Dr. C. I'll just call him that. And I think he went to here, to this school, to medical school. But like so many people, even in health professions, he had lost his vision of Adventism of Christianity, and he basically was, uh, you know, uh, not believing in God and all these other different things. And I was taking care one day of this other guy, and this guy was a sickle cell patient. And of course, if you've taken care of sickle cell patients, you know they need a lot of fluids and they need pain medication. 
And this guy came in, and I hadn't quite put that all together. I was relatively new with taking care of sickle cell patients. And so I thought he was malingering and perhaps wanted some, you know, narcotics and different things, different things. And so he asked me for a drink. And I was like, I'm not going to get you a drink. I'm not getting you this and that and the other. And this guy heard me. And he came to me, and he goes, don't you know the Bible says that if anyone asks you for a drink, you should give it to them? Now, this guy was the most unsavory clinician you'd ever work with. He was just rude, crude, and all these I had never heard him ever mention anything about the Bible, but here he was bringing the Bible out. And I was like, man. So I got the guy a drink. So these kind of things were happening even in my benumbed state. But there's another reason my friendships changed, and this is why. I, I began to see, as I looked at my friends, what was happening in their lives. I had a good friend named Lance, and he liked to smoke um, things that were grown. And he always said this was part of his vegetarian lifestyle, you know. And it, it really... <laughs> He was really kind of a twisted and confused individual. Although that time I thought he was quite profound. And uh, his name was Lance. And, and, and Lance overdosed and he died. He died. And I was like, look, what's hap- look what happened to my friend. And then several other people, the same thing was happening to them. And uh, then I went to Chicago. I was working with a bunch of my friends in Chicago. I was dodging in and out. And I went there and I was talking to all these friends and these friends were there. They were, we all had something in common. We were all ministers' sons, actually Seventh-day Adventist ministers' sons. We all didn't believe in God anymore. We were all miserable and angry and just didn't want to act like uh, we were. So we were trying to fool ourselves. And it was amazing. Five of us. Some were about my age, a couple younger. And then the guy that was our crew manager, he was in his 60s. And all of them were, we, we, we would go to the clubs, we would be at that whole scene, we were doing this, and we were just, you know, you know, acting like we were really cool. But when I got alone with these guys, you know, the two things that would come up? Number one, they would talk about why they didn't believe in God, but then they would talk about how they were angry at their dad. Guess what I saw? I didn't realize it then, but God was playing in my mind. If you continue in this way and your relationships are going this way, your friends are all bitter like you and you're going to be bitter at 25, at 30, at 35, at 40, at 65. You're just going to be a wreck your whole life. And I could tell you the stories they were telling me, but I don't have time. You see how God was planting that? Man. Now, then, let me just get a little more personal with you. At the same time, I had tried to have a lot of relationships in academy. Well, let's put it this way. When I went to academy, those of you that are not Seventh-day Adventists or Christians that have gone to parochial schools, sometimes they try and make kids date each other. Like, in this particular school, I was like only... 14 or 15, and they decided we needed to go out with the girls. So they had these balloons come down from above. And the balloons, you pop the balloon, 
And inside the balloon, there was the name of the girl you were going to be going out with. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this may sound funny to you, but it was the beginning of a very traumatic experience for me. Because the balloon popped, and the lady who got my balloon, I mean, my teeth were about as big as they are now, and I was considerably smaller. I weighed 86 pounds, and uh, 80 of those were my mouth. And I... <laughs> My mandible and maxilla, I look somewhat like a, uh, some type of dinosaur, I'm not sure. But, <laughs> and, and, and so no, she, she, I saw her, she got me, she goes, oh look, it's da, oh! And she hands it to the next girl and the next girl, and finally, I think it was someone who was blind, deaf, and dumb, they take it, and that hurt. That hurt. So then, after that, uh, I I took some testosterone tablets. No, not really. But I uh, I really tried to you know to uh, aggressively enhance my uh, steroidal presence. And I as as I as I began to buff out and in, I became appealing to some unsuspecting and wary unwary females. And um, so I got a girlfriend. Amazingly. And I just fell head over heels in lust. Because I didn't understand what love is. So I'm, I'm, I'm with this girl, Macy, forever. Anyway, and she dumped me big time. It wasn't very long either. It was right after I gave her this huge bottle of perfume in the cafeteria in front of everybody. And for some reason, she just dumped me. And right then in my small, underdeveloped frontal lobe, I began to recognize that this was very painful and that my limbic system was not enjoying this. And I decided that I would never get in a relationship with a girl again unless I was completely in control and they got hurt and I didn't get hurt. Ever been like that? A guy hurt you? A girl hurt you? I want to suggest to you that this got worse for me because I started to do this and I dated three girls in a row. They're, all their names were Lisa, which worked out well for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some things never change. So, but each one of them were like dumping me. Lisa number one, dump me. Lisa number two, you know, you're thinking, what did I do? I can tell you what I did, and you would laugh, but it still was painful. And then I, I did this all through academy, and then I went to college, and again, I met another Lisa. And I thought, and all of these people were sucked up into this dating thing and to all those things. And unfortunately, I wasn't converted either. So it was like the drinking and the drug scene and all these different things dodging on that. It was the cultural Adventism, a little sour cream Adventism, you know, with a dash of, I don't know, something added in. And I didn't put it together that my friends were kind of toxic. The whole area and the whole idea I was thinking about things. It was just wrong. And I remember when this, I really became open to looking things at God's way. And it was after my girlfriend came back 
the next morning from a party with my best friend. After spending the night together, doing a little more than talking. Here my best friend had slept with my girlfriend. You know how much that hurts? And guess what? I was willing to start to look at things in a different way. Where are you on that continuum? Are you willing to look at things a different way about your relationships? I'm not asking for an appeal or to come forward. But what I'm saying is, there's going to be a point when you're willing to look at that. Sometimes it's when you're younger. Sometimes it's when you're older. Sometimes people never look at it, and they have miserable lives. And so I begin to say, what does God say about these relationships? Not right then, but I start to look at it. And I begin to find out that God's Word says that flawed people, He takes flawed people that have made these mistakes, and He calls them His best friend. It's like Abraham. He messed up a bunch of relationships. He did things wrong. And God calls him a friend. Good friends don't gossip. Good friends don't go around angry, the Bible says. They're not driven by scorn. Proverbs 16, 28 says they don't gossip. They, they, and good friends, I begin to learn, are not just those that agree with you. How many of you know someone that thinks you're a good friend as long as you agree with them? Good friends are people that are willing to disagree with you, but they still love you. I had one of them. <laughs> I didn't have many good friends back then. Because I was so, you know, well, you know, I had superficial friends. But I had this one friend, her name was Tanise, And Tanise was a nursing student with me. She sat right next to me. And uh, I remember she would look at me, and she would see me going off about something, and she would say, you know, that is the stupidest thing <laughs> you could have ever done. That was not right. <laughs> but she said it in such a nice way. I mean, it was like, I just was like, how could she say that to me? I would have killed her if she wasn't her. This was her, though. She ca- and you know why she could say it to me? She had a terminal illness. just wanted to be a nurse for a few years because she knew this illness would take her out. She was a good friend. There were some others. When I started working in the hospital, I was unconverted and therefore very unhelpful to patients, as I mentioned earlier. And there was this other lady. Her name was Arlene. Now, Arlene was like only about four foot twenty. She was four foot tall, but she was... Very tall in terms of, of, of being a good nurse. And she, a good nurse, my definition of a good nurse is like somebody that you never see at the nurse's station. They're always with the patients. That was the opposite of me. I was at the nurse's station with the nurses. Hello. I mean, you know. You know. How are things going? You know. Arlene saw that, and I could tell she was upset. She just looked at me, and she had this fire in her eyes. And one day, I went into the dirty utility room. You guys have those here at the hospital? Yeah, dirty utility room. To take back a platter of of whatever. And as I go in there, Arlene's in there. I lean down to pick up a new bedpan to replace the one I had emptied. And Arlene saw her moment. I was now 
as short as she was, she grabbed me around the neck, put me in a headlock, had her bed pan, which I can't remember if it was completely empty yet, and she banged me on the head. Boom, boom, boom. On the head. I, I kid you not. I should have sued. I could be rich. And she hits me on the head. I said, what's up with this? And Arlie says to me, what is wrong with you? You're just with the ladies all day. Haven't you learned your lesson? We are here to serve. Bang, bang, clang. About that time, one of the nurses who I had designs on walks in the room only to see me being bang. But you know, Arlene loved the patients. She never was at the station. She'd be in the room rubbing their back, rubbing their feet. And she would go around, and the people loved her. She brought healing to people and help to people. And I realized at the end of the day, the patients were glad to see me go. But they were happy to see Arlene. And my concept began to train. You see, Arlene, that was very helpful to me. She spoke the truth in love and backed it up with a bedpan. Do you see that I still remember it? She got it through my skull. Usually people that are good friends are those that have been rebuked and received counsel themselves. You'll find this is true. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he said, I'm chief of sinners. And he talks about how he was rebuked and how he turned around. You want to look for a good friend? Look for somebody who's been rebuked themselves and has turned. Those are good friends. Jesus puts it this way. One day of people coming to talk to Jesus and it was his mother and his brothers. Do you remember the story? It was Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. And he was standing there talking, and they say, Look, we got to see you. We want to talk to you. And he stops, and he says, Who is my mother? Now, this was rude. His mother was right out there, right? Doesn't that sound rude? I preached this, by the way, once on a Mother's Day. I would not recommend it. Uh, you know, everybody's there who's a mother and maybe shouldn't be a mother, and it's not good for you to not talk favorably about mothers. But anyway, so I said, who is my mother? And I'm preaching. Well, anyway, I won't tell you what happened that day. So Jesus is there, and he goes, who's my, who's my mother? And then he looks at his disciples. He says, look, the ones that's my mother and my brother and basically my friends are the ones that do the will of the Father in heaven. Is that a good definition? friends, if they take you away from the purpose God has for your life, this is assuming you know God, lecture number one, they will take you away. Bad people will take you away. They look like friends, but they're not friends. It's like the prodigal son. He goes away and spends his money in riotous living, and then he recognizes that these friends are just give-me kind of friends. And the key thing about that story is that he comes back and he changed from being a give-me person with give-me people all around him to a make-me person. Make me one of your servants. So, you know, friends are, are, are ones that want to do the will of God. They believe in Christ, but they want it all. You hear people to say, oh, I believe. Isn't it important just to believe in Jesus? How many would say amen to that? 
But belief in the Bible is not just defined as this intellectual assent to, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. One time Jesus talked to his disciples, they were depressed and despondent after he had died. And he said, oh, you fools and slow of heart not to believe all the prophets have spoken. Belief is this, it's people who want it all. If you want to find good friends, find people that believe in God and people that want it all. Are you with me? Now, I'll talk about my wife. <laughs> I got so burned by Lisa number one, Lisa number two, Lisa number three, that I had a hard time even looking at the Mona Lisa famous painting. <laughs> it was like an emetic. I mean, you know. So I was like, this is, this is rough. And I came to the time, finally I said, look, in my relationships, especially with Fomalis, females, that I wouldn't... <laughs> I would not, I would not be looking, touching, taste not, handle not, nothing. You know? I said, I am going to ask that God do it. I read in Genesis that the people that got in trouble, the ones who chose their own wives and didn't look to God for that kind of thing. You know, we got three major things in life. You're hatched, you're matched, you're dispatched. And when you're hatched, you have nothing to do about it. Usually when you're dispatched, you know, you can make a mistake and bring that on suddenly. But, Sometimes that happens. In the middle, the big decision you make is when you're matched. By the way, this weekend they're going to talk about that. So if you're thinking about that, what sometimes people do, that's good for this weekend. But anyway, so I came to the place where I am not going to try and do this with the girls anymore. I mean, I was just burned. You know, when you come to that decision, guys, it's a good thing for But You know what happens? You become an aphrodisiac. You become very appealing to women when you make that decision. I know, because then they, they, like, they come out. Like, the, they come out of the woodwork, man, like Proverbs 6 ladies, you know. They're out to get you. Serious. And so they started coming. I was like, boom, boom. I have got. <laughs> you guys, you know, that's, that's kind of a lie, right? So anyway. <laughs> So, <laughs> so any, this is not supposed to be fun. Okay, so anyway, I came to that decision. I said, look, I want to do it God's way. So I decided, if, if people are, friends are really the ones that believe all the prophets have spoken, and they want it all, then I better be- read what the Bible says. I started to read the Bible. I started to read the spirit of prophecy, which those of you who are Adventists know about. And I began to read it all. And I found this one book called The Great controversy if you haven't read it great book so i start reading i'm going man this is heavy stuff Woo-hoo! and so i took it with me to my ball games I took it with me to my labs I took it with me to work I had my bible and my great controversy and i was going along man and i tell you what this saves you i don't know how much money i spent on lisa times three thousands of dollars i could be driving a golf cart now. I mean, I look. But I tell you what I did. I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you what happened. I said I want to. I got to rule these ladies out quick. So what I'm going to do first of all is I'm going to invite them to chapel talks. If they go to chapel talks or to religious meetings with me, that means cha-ching. Could be a chance. But even before that, that didn't work because sometimes they were sneaky. 
And I would find one that would go to the chapel with me that really wasn't into the whole thing, you know. So I kicked it up a notch. When I first would meet them, I would start to read a chapter from the Great Controversy to them. And so I weeded out a number of ladies this way. About 50. <laughs> and, you know, I would read the Scriptures as safeguards. This is a great chapter. I'd say, man, I'm just reading this. you got to hear it. Woo! And sometimes it would be instantaneous. <laughs> Other times it would be a couple paragraphs. Then I met Luminitsa, Le Cremiora, Constantinescu. Took me a while to learn her name. My ex-fiance. My wife now. And I said to her, hey, I just got through hitting a home run or something like that. Grounding out, I can't remember which. And I came back and I was playing baseball. And I run up right next to my mitt, my great controversy. That small edition, kind of the green one, you know. I pull it out, sit down on the bench, waiting for me to go out to the field. Right next is this delightful flower. I've made the decision to follow God. I've accepted Him. I'm sitting next to her, and I open it up, and I start to read, and I notice she looks at it. I said, have you heard? Yeah, I was getting a little better at this. I said, have you heard of this book? You seem to be interested in it. She goes, what is that book? I said, this book is the great controversy between Christ and Satan. And she said, you read the great controversy? I said, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Really, she said. That's one of my favorite books. I was like, really? Whoa, baby. I said... Would you marry me? Not quite, not quite like that, you know. But I was thinking, this could be it. Our kid's hair would be blonde. You know, I was, whoa! But I saw that she wanted to do it all. You see what I mean? Or at least I thought. But then I learned that she really wanted to do it all because she said, I said, uh, I'd like to talk with you about this sometime. Um... And she said, I, 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 yeah, okay. But she got suddenly, like, cold. How many of you guys know what that's like? When your ice fishing hole kind of closes up as the whale is going under. And I wondered why. And I didn't have a chance to know because she excused herself and that was it. Man, I was, man, I was excited about this. So I engineered socially engineering. They would call me a stalker now, but I figured out <laughs> I figured <laughs> sorry. I figured out how to meet her again, you know. And I got into a man, I've got another story I gotta tell I'm out of time here. Make a long story short, she then I figured out how to get to her house and meet her dad and parents because she basically figured out I figured out that the way to her was if her dad said yes, because I figured out from one of her friends whether or not. And I was like, this girl wants it all. I mean, Genesis 6 came to mind about you know, how your father and mother are involved in decisions and all that. And I was like, whoa, okay. So I go down there. I did not hit it off with her dad. 
Because I told her, I was very honest with her dad. I said, hey, look, I've had all kinds of girlfriends. I don't recommend this. Those of you taking notes, don't do this. Put it right next to it. By the time I got through Lisa number one, two, and three, he had a visibly different look on his face as his knees smote one against the other. And he knew that I was not the right one, baby. Uh-uh. And so he was, and I'm telling you, this is serious. He was, a, he was, a, he was protective of Lumenitsa, which I don't blame him, given, you know, who she was with or wanted to be with her. So at that family circle prayer that night, he's praying. This is what he prays. I'll tell you what he prays. He goes, Dear Lord, please protect our family. I don't normally open my eyes in prayer, but I open it up. He's looking right at me. <laughs> Lord, protect our family from the attacks from without, he says, and also the attacks, the attacks from within. <laughs> it took me five years to win his confidence, but every minute of it was worth it. Every minute was worth it. He sent my potential wife to another continent to get her away from me. But she wanted it all. And I wanted someone who wanted it all. You want it all? we got five minutes. I've got to tell you another quick story. So relationships. I'm kind of getting into the weekend stuff, but sorry. But relationships, can you hear this? They don't gossip. They don't get angry. They come to trust God. They, have, they speak the truth in love. They listen to godly counsel. My wife listened to her parents. They want to do the whole will of God, even in mate selection. More than that, they're willing to lay down their life. And you for them. Have you ever heard someone lay down their life for you? I would say my best friend. I may go over five minutes, get the tape. One of my best friends was not my age, but 60 years older than I was. I remember him moving in with me. I... It was my grandfather, and I went to pick him up. And he came, and he moved in with me. And I was now going to the seminary. I was taking a degree in theology, but I still hadn't decided to be an Adventist. I still was working through all that. And when I would come back, he would always, I'd say, he'd say, what happened today, and this and that. And he was the most loving person. I worked at nights, and I went to the, getting my master's degree during the day. And when I came home, he would have the cereal boxes all out. Oatmeal and egg. Because that's what I gave my grandmother. That's probably why she's dead. And all of these different things all set up. And he would just give it to me and he would just hand it to me. I was like his wife now. And grandfather would go to my basketball games. We called ourselves after him. We named our team the Patriarchs. 
And he was the patriarch. And he would get us together in the huddle, and he would pray for us, and he would say, Lord, protect these stupid young men from running up and down the court and killing themselves. They don't understand that this is not a good use of their talents or time or energy. But bless them anyway. Everybody on the team just loved them. And we see he's speaking the truth in love. And he was 60 years older than I was. I remember when grandfather died. Just before he died, the week before. Two weeks before he went into the hospital, there was a communion service, and he wanted to go to the communion service. And I said, no, I'm busy. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing the other things. He said, but I really want to go, Don. And I had a whole bunch of friends over that I had thought were more important. And Grandfather said, I really want to go. Finally, after insistence, I took him in the car. And on the way to the, I didn't know it was a communion service. He just said Vespers. I didn't even know it was a communion service. He says, look, I really want to get out of the house. And I let him have it. And when we arrived at the church and I saw that it was a Friday night communion service, I did not like that. And as we walked down the aisle, my grandfather saw that it was a communion service. And he turns to me and he says, Don, there's nothing else in life that I have to live for except for God and you boys. And I want to tell you that I'm sorry for making you come tonight. Would you forgive me? And I said, sure. And he said, what? I said, sure. He said, what? I said, sure. Grandfather had forgotten to put his hearing aids in. But he was so insistent. And finally I told him, sure. After the service was over, or after the little homage was over, we went down to wash one another's feet. And grandfather looked me right in the face. and He said, you know, I think the Lord let me live to be able to live with you boys. I'd not do anything for you. I never want to hurt you. And I washed his feet, and he washed my feet. I remember the day he died. We could have taken him to the hospital again, but he didn't want to go back. And I said, Grandfather, what do you want me to do? Because his breathing was getting labored. I said, we can take you in. And he goes, no, I want to die. I'm ready to go. I said, Grandfather, what is it? What do I do? I've never been with someone who died before. This was someone I knew loved me. This is someone who exemplified Christ. He said to me, look, go get my hymn book. One got his hymn book and he said, I've been thinking a lot about heaven. Both his Bible and his hymn book, he had marked all the texts about heaven. And he said, sing to me the songs about heaven. day, throughout the day, his grandfather slipped further and further away. I sang songs about heaven 
I cried. And I read text about heaven. And my grandfather died at five o'clock. And when he died, I sat down in the hall and I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. Grandfather was one of my best friends. Friendship doesn't have anything to do with age. It has to do with a commitment to Christ. And when Grandfather died, it was Halloween night. (laughs) And we were there around the bed. Luminitsa was there. She had come over. We were having a worship now around Grandfather's still warm body. And guess who came in the front door? Luminitsa's dad, the one who for five years had said no. He walked up right there around Grandfather's bed, and he came in and he took my hand. And he took Luminitsa's hand. And he put our hands together. Grandfather wanted it all. And he lived it all to the end of his life. I want to be like that. I want to have relationships like that. Do you want to have relationships like that? Do you want it all? I want to see grandfather again. I want to be in heaven. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. You know what it said? Heaven. Don't miss it for the world. I don't want to miss heaven for the world, do you? I want my relationships, my peers, to be the type that head to heaven. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, today we're just thankful for the lessons we can learn. We're thankful for the special annoyances that come in our lives, for the people that you send to test our character. We thank you for the bedpans that hit us over the head and let us know that we're headed on the wrong direction. We're thankful for those that speak the truth in love. We're thankful for those that have turned and are willing to share their experiences with us. I don't know where each person in this room is in their journey with their friendships, but I ask that you would... Bring them to that point where they're willing not to do it their way, but to do it your way. And I thank you and I praise you. I come in Jesus' all-powerful name. Amen.